After somewhat of a long hiatus, This Week in Photo is back. Episode 501 starts now. This is Twitter. Welcome back to TWIP, your source for photography news and conversation. Joining me today to discuss some of the week's biggest photo stories are Mr. Steve Brazel. Yo, what's up, Mr. Photo Frederick? Joseph. Welcome home. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't think you're supposed hey. to interrupt him like that, Brazel. You're no, supposed see, to like, let him finish his bit and, and then cut him no, off. That no, was, that was the sound of a veteran like radio voice from Los Angeles stepping on someone else. That was Steve Brazel, ladies and gentlemen. How bad? Are you sure? that he gets his voice in all right steve let's start with you man steve welcome back and to the show welcome tell us about you a little bit man uh not much to tell i i host a show on your network the this week in uh, photo network behind the shot um that's been running a year now the latest episode just came out last wednesday is with scott kelby and i've got one coming up actually with uh, a twip alum valerie jardin coming up next week uh and that's about it just shooting it i'm a concert photographer and and podcaster. Yes, you are. And I want to I want to give a special thanks to you, Steve Brazel. So while TWIP has been what MIA, you have been 100% IA or in action with behind the shot and all your other stuff. You've been like, like you were you were you're like the guy that's the army is like kind of hanging out in the camp and you are still forging ahead with your M16 taking care of business on the front line. So thank you so much for keeping behind the shot going. Official thank you in front of everybody for that. It is thank it you. is absolutely my pleasure to be a part of a great network. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. And also a friend of mine that I've known since my days at Apple and he, I think he was at Apple as well. Mr. Photo Joseph. Joseph, I was going to say your real <laughs> name. I have to get used to not saying your full name. Well, it's not like you can't say my full name, but there's no point to it. Nobody can pronounce the damn thing anyway. So, well, it's good to be back, my friend. It has been a very, very long time. Yes, it has. It has. Tell us about you a little bit. So you do a couple things. And your audio is a little bit low, by the way. But you do. I can, I can bring the audio up. That is not a problem. Uh, yeah, what do I do? What have I been doing? So, well, everything knows now. I'm a photographer, cinematographer, videographer, all that good stuff. Just making content, making the content. And these days, I've been really big focused on YouTube and YouTube Live, specifically doing that live show, Photo Joseph's Photo Moment, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 9.30 a.m. Pacific at YouTube.com slash Photo Joseph talking all things photo, camera, image related, anything we can get away with talking about on the show is fair game. That's cool. And you've kind of hung your head on the whole streaming thing. And I got to, I have to extend just like I did with Steve and if, an official thank you to you for letting me pick your brain over the last, what, several months, I guess, Absolutely. <laughs> on yeah. getting my live streaming set up because, you know, you would think, you would think live streaming is simple. So I thought, <laughs> you know, hey, why not? You can just do it from your phone, right? It, True if you want to do it professionally you know, or even semi-professionally, it is it is it's a, a black hole. It really is. That's very true. It is a lot of hard work to get doing smoothly, consistently. Consistency is the biggest thing. That's the hardest part of it, just getting it to always be good as opposed to, oh, look, I got a good show. Yay. It's, you know, it's hard to get going right all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the biggest thing that I've learned, and, and I'll, I'll talk about this in the coming weeks on what this setup looks like. The biggest thing I've learned is you can you can put as little or literally as much money into this as you want. And your results will reflect that. Right. Joseph? Will. I mean, they absolutely will. 
like, like, like I said in the beginning, you could do a live stream with just your phone or you could, Joseph, you're sitting in a, you have a studio space. You did, what was it a, over the holiday week? You did a rebuild of your entire setup there and live streamed it. Yep. That's right. For, I think it was 45 hours of live streaming, just had a Mevo going. And so I could just talk to the audience and, you know, there were anywhere from a couple to maybe 10, 15 people watching at any given time, just people coming in and out throughout the day, just watching what I was doing, offering advice. Turned out to be great. I crowdsourced a lot of how to design this thing because I ran into some issues. How do I solve this? And yeah. got some suggestions, go to the hardware store. I even took the whole audience to the hardware store once. That was fun. <laughs> Wait, you great. took the audience to the hardware store? Yes, you yeah. did. Yeah, so I was streaming from my Mevo. And it was connected to my Wi-Fi network, and it doesn't seamlessly hand off to a cellular connection. But I kind of had to put the turn the camera off and come back on for a minute, but I was off the air for like, I don't know, 45 seconds or something. Came back on, and then I'm on the Mevo using my cell phone's connection, got in the car, drove to the hardware store. Actually, drove to two stores before I got what I needed. Oh, and I missed uh, took that. along with me. I'm fun. so bummed I missed that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, that, and that's where I want to get. So that level of comfort that Joseph has where he just, you know, I feel like no live stream. I'm gonna do it. You know, it it's you it seems easy when you watch these YouTubers and people that live stream all the time do it, mm -hmm. you know, professionally with the graphics and the music and all that. I'm like, oh, I can do that. But then when you engage and build it, like I've been doing over the past couple of weeks, it is there's just a mountain of complexity to get this stuff done. But yeah, yeah so much respect much to Photo Joseph. Okay, there there is very much that armchair quarterback perspective of it where you, it's so easy to sit there and go oh it's easy oh you suck oh why aren't you doing that why aren't you doing that and i get and you get the trolls in the comments occasionally that say things that are like do you have any idea what this takes and often i'll say things like oh give me the link to your live show <laughs> yeah. let me see how that's going for you that's a good one <laughs> yeah. well and, and frederick's been working on his for how long yeah it's been and, a while and yeah. Had it going and then still, you know, one little glitch here or there is it's hard to that's the thing. I think it's not that hard to get up, but it's hard to get those little intermittent glitches to never show up. Yeah, it's gremlins, man. I mean, I literally was up until I don't know what time last night making sure all this stuff was bulletproof dialed in notes on everything. And then we start the show 30, 15 minutes before showtime. I start seeing this glitch in the camera where I'm doing this whole max headroom thing. Yep. And I'm like, really? <laughs> really? Just to make it more confusing, the glitch is gone now. Yeah. We don't know and, why. And we don't know why. We don't know why. We have no idea why. So now I'm going to spend the next, you know, part of my life figuring out what we're wrong. But that's the cool thing about this live streaming stuff, because you can. It's, I feel like, Joseph, I feel like it's a learning experience because each time I do a test or do a stream or, or do something, I learn a little nugget of something yep. like, oh, you have to start this app before that app or you have to do that. You have to, you know, in order to make things work. And then it's just, yeah, it's it's called being on the front lines, I guess. So. Yep. All right, guys, let's dive into the show. Enough of that pre-show banter. The first story that I want to talk about is uh, GoPro. <laughs> GoPro. So GoPro um, made an announcement, what, about a week ago or so, and they said that they are getting out of the drone business. You guys remember that Karma drone that they launched a little while ago? The last show yeah. that I was on was the recall of that drone. Yeah, no they were way. falling from the skies, apparently. And Oops. yeah, velocity with a piece of, you know, several pounds of electronic gear on your head. 
or any place else is damaging, right? So yeah. So anyway, so they're recalling it and they're exiting that. I want to talk about I want to talk about the drone piece. I think that's that's kind of obvious what's going on there, but I I really want to talk about GoPro as a company and is do they need to like retool? Do they need to sell to someone? Do they like what Joseph what's what does GoPro need to do to survive? Though so that to survive that's a huge question. I mean, yeah. getting rid of something that doesn't work is obviously business 101. Cut the dead weight. If it's not selling, if they haven't figured it out, if your competition is be- making something that's so much better and cheaper and more reliable, then maybe it's just time to move on. As far as what they need to do to survive, I don't mean their their core thing, this little the action camera, they built their entire everything off of that camera. And they're no longer the only ones doing it. So it really comes down to competitive product, competitive quality, competitive price, because there's so many of those things out there now. They still have the name, though, right? They own that brand. If you see an action camera that's not a GoPro, you're still going to say, oh, that's a GoPro. It's like Kleenex. It is a generic brand name. Kleenex is a brand name. It's not a product. The product's a tissue. But we all call them Kleenex. Well, everybody calls every little action camera GoPro. They guess yeah. they got to keep working on that, capitalize on that, and don't let that die. Yeah, but is it is it possible? I mean, no. it's like I, I I guess the question for the GoPro board of directors and the management team there is, have they passed the event horizon? <laughs> right. Well, yeah. the, the CEO has lowered his pay. He's only going to take a dollar in 2018, mm-hmm. uh, which he kind of had to do. But I would argue, you know, a couple things. First of all, there are industries still that live on GoPro. Right. I mean, there are are video recording industries where you can't get an easy camera somewhere and they still clip GoPros on. You go on a on a concert stage and there's GoPros attached to drum sets all over the place. Yeah, it's still a very useful product. The problem is that the GoPro five still works fine. Nobody is really running out to buy the GoPro six. Yeah, the the the, the it's kind of like smartphones, right? We've reached feature saturation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's already recording in 1080 or 4K and, and they're doing what you need and their mount system mounts to everything on earth. Yeah. They don't have any features that are making people go out and upgrade to newer ones. I don't know. I I agree that they hit that feature saturation point, but I also think that there's always room for improvement in this stuff as evidenced by Sony entering the action cam space and taking a huge portion of GoPro's lunch. Sony makes some ridiculous, amazing action cameras with steady cam technology built into them. And they are amazing. I mean, you know, I will, will in the blog post for this episode, I'll link to, um, God, who's that, that guy? I forget it is, uh, iPhone Doe. I think it is. He did a mm-hmm. review of one of the most recent, or I think the most recent action cam from Sony and from what he says, it's pretty amazing. And it blows GoPros out of the water. And with pockets, depending on how you look at it, as deep as Sony's, it's kind of hard for a company like GoPro to even compete against that. And then they tried to compete against Sony, all the other action cam makers, as well as DJI on the drone front and, you know, and not really getting traction on any of them. Well, well think, I mean, think about this for a minute, though. Here's a company that's had four rounds of cuts since 2016, and they've lost a fifth of their value in 12 months. So my question would be, okay, yeah, you can always innovate. What could GoPro do today to reasonably compete against those deep pockets of Sony that for all they care, they can use it as a loss leader and just keep 
dumping money into it. Mm-hmm. What could GoPro do really to get the leadership position back? And it's not drones, obviously. I, the biggest surprise to me was that the Karma actually hit number two in that market. Yeah. Yeah. Well, largely in the brand of GoPro, right? Like Joseph was yeah. saying, I mean, they could, if if GoPro put out a camera tomorrow, just a, a, a mirrorless camera or something, I'm sure people would be like, oh, let me go try that out. GoPro's yeah. innovating and they're fixing all the problems the other guys have and all this stuff, right? But it's, that's short-lived credit. You're not going to, you're not going to change the world with pre- you know, oh, people were excited in the beginning and then it kind of went away. Yeah, when you build something like that and they start falling out of the sky, you do lose some customer faith. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit, bit. a little bit, (laughs) a little bit. I don't know. I mean, and then I don't know. In the end, I guess the overarching thing for all this is that, you know, as a as a content creator, both of you guys are content creators, artists, photographers, you know, you do you create stuff. You guys don't necessarily care that much. You're not married to the gear that you make. You're married to the end product. Right. And if and it's basic physics. If there's a path of least resistance to getting to the end product that you see in your mind's eye, you're probably going to go with that thing, which is which is going to lead into what, you know, our whole gear discussion. You well, choose you choose the gear that you use not because oh, this thing has all these whiz-bang features, but the feature set that that piece of gear has fits the art that you're trying to create in your mind's eye, right? See, the, the the term you're looking for is it's a tool. I mean, hobbyists may be, you know, more brand loyal than they are feature set, right? So they may may live in that ecosystem. But for people who use it to actually create content, uh, it's a tool. It's just a tool. Yeah. You know, I'm a Canon shooter. I'm not a Canon shooter because it's better than something else necessarily. When I grabbed it, it was the most comfortable in my hand, and it does the job that I need. Yeah. That's yeah. it. And and to me, I look at GoPro leaving the drone business and what I think to myself is 2018, they're saying they're going to be profitable by the second half of 2018. 2018 is a de- deciding factor for GoPro, hands down. If they don't start turning it around in 2018, I think they're in big trouble. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, because we only have so many extra dollars, quote, extra dollars in our wallets. And there's other things that we want to buy besides all this other stuff. So if you want to volley for, you know, a portion of my disposable income, you better put out something that's ridiculous unless you're like, you know, one of our listeners and Twit Pro members, uh, Chris Berry, who has infinitely deep pockets and buys every piece of gear that's available. Mm. <laughs> you know, interesting because well, Trevor in the, in the Trevor in the live chat said the Samsung phones exploded and yet that line still persists. I mean, obviously, <laughs> these true. companies with persistence and money can can outlive these these PR nightmares, yeah. but only for so long. If you don't turn it around, you've got issues. And well, bailing out of funny, it doesn't It's funny it. you say that. It's funny he says that about Samsung because if you're a GoPro and you only make your, your you know, for all intents and purposes, a one-trick pony, right? That trick better be damn good. <laughs> if you're, if you're going to be a one-trick pony, that trick better be If you're a Samsung, on the other hand, in my laundry room upstairs, I have a Samsung washer and dryer. Right. So, you know, Samsung can take a hit on their phone business or camera business or whatever and suck money from other verticals to make sure that that one stays alive. If you only have one trick, you're doomed. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Joseph, what do you what do you use? Are you an action cam user? Do you have one? No, not at all. I've never had no. owned one. You've never owned an action cam at all? No, I just I never had a need for it. It's just not my thing. 
Um, you know, I also never yeah. owned a drone until I guess about a year or so ago, maybe a little bit less. And I finally got the spark and, you know, now that's like changed everything. I love that stupid. Thing, I know that's all you talk is spark. I mean, so you, much can, fun. you came to visit me in Sacramento and, and we're showing me shots of this golden bridge we have here that nobody ever shot before. <laughs> hovering above it yeah do a little tiny planet picture that was so much yeah fun. totally yeah it's make cool. sure you send me a link to that i'll link to that in the, in the just post. be careful yeah. when you catch it when it's landing i don't yeah. <laughs> was there he witnessed the blood yes <laughs> wait, wait 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 tell us a story I, i'm wait. looking at him thinking oh wait are you bleeding out let me videotape this <laughs> wait first of all steve there's no more videotape so let's just let's just end that <laughs> Well, he, he had to load a new cassette into his iPhone. Yes, yeah. he get <laughs> Was that beta or VHS? High eight. High eight. So Steve and I were out flying. We won't say where. We probably shouldn't have been there, but we were flying anyway. I was flying. He was shooting me, seeing what would happen. And it landed. I, I catch the thing in my hand all the time when it lands. It's just, you know, it could come down, hover, hold your hand out flat. And it's like feeding a wild bird. Just keep your hand flat and you'll be fine. And I just, I curled my fingers up a little bit too much. I don't know why, just not thinking whatever I did. And so the, one of the propeller blades hit my finger and it cut it and it cut it pretty badly. I had you know, a good amount of blood, but I just grabbed the drone off the floor. It crashed hard after that, obviously uh, survived though. Crashed hard. I grabbed it, picked it up and was like, Oh, look at that. I'm bleeding. And so uh, we went to try to find somewhere to a bathroom or somewhere I could clean it up and found one and get my you know, paper towel, whatever wrapped around my finger. We come out and Steve and I run into this security guard who goes, Hey, you guys seen anybody flying a drone around here? And I'm holding in one hand, I've got a, soaking red wet rag and the other hand i've got my drone now it's it's in a box i put it back in this little box but i am holding the drone in my other hand and i look at him and i say no and he goes and i mean with a question you've got to you've got to really accentuate it because no when the security guard looked at him and said have you seen anybody flying a drone we're looking for him and and it was this almost like childlike um no. <laughs> and he just goes, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Probably not the world's brightest security guard. So we hightailed it out of there, ran into a couple other security guards, but they fortunately didn't stop us. We just kept going until we got the hell out of there. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. So so do you do you hand grab your drone now when you when you land it, Joseph? Um sometimes. I'm a little bit more cautious about it. Yeah, why not? You've got callus and scar tissue built yeah, up, right? right? Exactly. It's one of the things on the Spark that you can do if when you grab it. I don't know if this works on the other drones, but on the Spark, when you grab it, if you just quickly flip it upside down, it immediately shuts off. Mm. It's like a fail safe. You just quickly flip it. So you get a good grip on it, flip it, and it's done. Um, mm -hmm. As opposed to trying to, no, oh, it's not landing, it's not landing, trying to get the controls to tell it to stop spinning its propellers. It seems like a lot of effort. My, I have a Mavic Pro and it lands almost by itself. So why catch it out of the air when you get to Because it it's cool. It's pretty cool. cool to hold your hand up and have the thing land in the palm of your hand. I mean, come on. Just yeah. it on the but edge, I, my friend. I like having 10 digits, though. I don't know. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. All right, guys. Do you have anything else to say about the action cam space or GoPro in particular before we move on? No, but Trevor in the chat room did bring up a good point, and that is, did GoPro really expect that their first gen was going to you know, succeed in the market because every market takes time to develop. Yeah. And I, I don't think they necessarily did. I just, I, I mean, I don't have numbers in front of me. I just think it did so bad that if they had long-term plans, they went, you got to know when to, when to walk away. Yeah. yeah. Well, they kind of did a ginger with that karma drone. You guys remember ginger? Remember that? That was the, that was the segue 
before Segway launched and wow. Dean Kamen was saying, oh, this is going to change the way cities are constructed and, sure. and Ginger and all these, you know, thought leaders, Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos got their hands on an early one and were, you know, pushing it and saying this is the best thing. It's a new invention. And then they launched it and it didn't it wasn't all that stuff. Right. So right. GoPro, on the other hand, was saying similar things, not quite as crazy about the karma when it launched it's going to do all this crazy stuff it's going to have a built-in osmo type handle that you can just take with you and pop the camera off and put it over there they had all this stuff that got us all excited and then it fell down the problem i think was there's there was already a saturated competitive landscape that they were entering into it wasn't a brand new hey they're inventing drones it was there were already benchmarks for what was considered to be awesome and they didn't reach that. So, and then not only did they reach it, not reach it, but the, you know, their aircraft were falling from the sky. So, yeah, 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 not good, not good. I hope they survive. I'm not betting against GoPro. Um, but I tell you, if I had, if I have an extra thousand dollars laying around, I'm probably not going to invest it in a GoPro right now. You know, it's about my, there's other companies that are doing crazy cool stuff that I'd probably put that money in. And well, see, and that's part of the big problem of this, though. This whole storyline just makes people a little more conservative on buying a GoPro product that is a good product. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Joseph, we talked about this, what, like, what, 18, so, 18 or so months ago uh, on one of those GoPro shows. It was the idea that, you know, saturation and the products were built and are built so well because they have to be because they're action cameras. And they have to withstand right. everything that there was no big compelling reason to switch from one to a next one just because it had this new little whiz bang feature right. when the one that you have is operating just fine. Right. So who knows? Who knows? All right, guys, let's uh, let's move on to uh, topic number two, and that's technique we have in the show notes here. And before we move on to that, I want to remind the folks or actually let the folks know that as of this show, we are launching the brand new TWIP Pro community. It's a way for you to help support TWIP and keep us on the air and kind of reduce our reliance on advertising and other uh, means to keep the lights on around here. And it is at, if you want to go check it out, twippro.com. That's T-W-I-P-P-R-O.com. It's our brand new community. It is based, it is built on a Slack architecture. So if you're familiar with Slack, you'll get in and instantly understand how TWIP Pro works. And it's basically Slack with a payment layer on top of it. And we're charging, um, actually it's free for the first two weeks. So if you don't like it, you just jump out of there. And then after that, it's just $4.99 a month. So yeah, check it out. I'd love to hear what you guys think about it. All right, let's move into technique. Uh, conquering low light situations. So this issue... And by the way, these these topics that we talk about come from the TWIP Pro community. That's where we source all this stuff. That's where we source our questions and Q&A and all that stuff. But low light is one of the biggest problems or challenges that new and experienced photographers face when creating images, right? It's all about battling shadows and even camera manufacturers, the main one of the main temples that they hang their hats on is low light performance, you know, or reducing the reliance on artificial light or strobe or, you know, continuous lighting and all that. So what I wanted to talk about in this in this particular segment was and Joseph, let's start with you when you're shooting in low light situations. 
what like if you're a new photographer and you're like, you know what, the, the genre that I want to go into is, you know, let's say uh, club photography where you're taking pictures of people having fun in the club at night and you sell those pictures back to the manager and all that stuff. What should they be cognizant of? Is it is it the camera body, the sensor? Is it something else? What's 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 your top line advice for those folks? Embrace the darkness. <laughs> But look, it you go That's to low light line, situations. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> you go into a low light situation. Obviously, you have to your subjects that are lit have to be lit. But I think that you talked about battling the shadows, and I think part of low light photography is not trying to make it look like daylight photography and take letting those shadows go black. Let them go really dark and embrace that contrast that you have. You know, that's that's a perfect thing for Steve to talk about as a concert photographer. He's got really, really dark spots and really, really bright spots. And if you tried to make everything light, the bright stuff would just completely get washed out. But by exposing for the highlights, you end up with some really deep, rich shadows that can make the images look fantastic. And, you know, Steve can talk all day about that, I'm sure. Um, as far as advice, I mean, yeah, sure. The, the better the high ISO performance you get in a camera, the better luck you're going to have getting some images that you want to work with in this low light situations. But, you know, fast glass... That's always an important one. Make sure you have something with a big, big aperture, uh, whether you're adding on even like one of my favorite fastest lens for my Lumix gear is an all manual lens F 0.95. It's got great light, low light gathering capability. It's all manual, but that's perfectly fine with me. And that's, but explain that's, all that, Joseph. So you're, you're speaking in photo Joseph terms that are way up here. So fast glass. What does fast glass mean? So when you look at your aperture on your lens, that's the this is f4, f5.6, f2.8, whatever it is, the smaller that number, the bigger the aperture, the aperture being the hole that allows light to pass through the lens and hit the sensor. The bigger that hole, the smaller the number, and the reason that's a inverse is because it's actually a fraction. F4 mm -hmm. is focal length over the four numbers and stand on its own. So the the smaller the number, the bigger the hole. The bigger the hole, the more light can come in, and that means you need either lower ISO or you can have a faster shutter speed to make a proper exposure. So that's what they mean by fast glass. So you want that lens that has a really big aperture. It gives you not only a nice shallow depth of field, gives you that nice bokeh that most of us are seeking for most types of photography, but it also gives us the ability to shoot in lower light. Yeah, yeah, love it, perfect. Um, Steve Brazel, you are a concert photographer. I you pretend. Make, you, you know, no, no, don't be self-deprecating. You are a world-class concert photographer. You've shot probably every band that we know of. By the way, speaking of that, slight non sequitur, I'm a little bit bummed. I'm a lot bit bummed today <laughs> because, Joseph, as you know, I was telling you on, uh, we were chatting earlier, uh, the lead singer from the Cranberries passed away yesterday. Yes, Dolores. Dolores uh, or Riordan, right, is her last name. And uh, I used to love that that band. I, you know, that I like parts of my life have a soundtrack to the Cranberries for some and reason. So young. She was, I think, 46 or something. Mm -hmm. It's sad. Yeah. Yeah. That's sad. That's sad. So anyway, um, yeah, the cranberries and four non blondes were on the, on my soundtrack. Oh, I love four non blondes. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Zombie zombie. Well, zombie was cranberries. Uh, what was four non blondes? My favorite song from them. Uh, uh, what, uh, what's up? What's, what's up? up? It was what's up. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. So Steve Brazel, good segue. You are a concert photographer. You've shot like you shook hands and got selfies with bands that people would not believe and singers that people would not believe. 
and the pictures and we'll we'll link to a lot of the pictures in the show notes for this the pictures that you shoot are in these ridiculously challenging situations right what's I, the secret I can, I can honestly say i have shot and almost any concert photography for worth their weight has in the worst light on earth probably yeah um and really joseph kind of nailed it you want fast glass right you want 2.8 or faster you want to embrace the dynamic range. One of the things about low light in almost all situations, if it gets really dark, then the differences in the, the lights and the darks tend to be more pronounced, mm -hmm. right? If you have one light in a dark room, suddenly you have clipping whites and clipping blacks, less gradients in between. Embrace it. Go high ISO. Like for me as a concert photographer, we don't use flash. We can't put a reflector in to do fill light. But you're looking at a scene that has more dynamic range. I mean, a lighting director's job at a concert, for example, is to push the, the, uh, the world of the human eye, to push the limits of the human eye, which is much more dynamic range than a camera can catch. Yeah. So like all photography, it's a trade-off, right? It's, it's, it's a world of choices. You have to decide what you want to keep. If you want to keep the face, then you're going to lose some shadows. You're going to lose some highlights. And you have to make that choice. You have to realize I want their face not to be blown out or their arms not to be blown out. Photograph to get them properly exposed. And if you have shadows that are too dark, you can bring them up. If you have some blown highlights, you're going to have that. But the key is any camera today, high ISO, is amazing. I mean, the cheapest consumer cameras today do really, really good at high ISO when you add in proper noise reduction. Mm. And, and what I mean by proper noise reduction is stop noise reducing the entire image. <laughs> Do selective noise reduction. If your sky has noise in it, but their skin doesn't, reduce the, use layers in Photoshop, whatever technique you want, hmm. and reduce the noise where you need it. Don't reduce the whole thing because then suddenly the detail in the eyes goes, the detail in the teeth or the hair go with it. Do it selectively on the large areas that need it, but keep the sharpness where you need it as well. And you can shoot at a much higher ISO. Yeah. So when people are making the decision to buy a new piece of, or a new camera body, should that be their number one concern? The low light performance? Depends on what they shoot. I mean, if, if here's a good example. If you're a parent and your kid is in high school football and you're shooting from the stands or mm -hmm. in a marching band, marching in high school football, lighting on a high school football field is not like the NFL. It's really bad. But if that's what you're going to shoot, then yeah, you're going to want to look at low light. But if you're shooting uh, your, your son or daughter as a soccer player and they're playing at three o'clock on a Saturday, then it's going to be the least of your worries whether or not you can get low light. Because again, any camera is going to do reasonably well in real world low, low light. Yeah, It really depends on what you're going to shoot. But don't make the mistake I made when I first picked up a camera, which was... And actually, Joseph knows this particular camera store, and and he held up this this salesperson. Uh, he held up one lens and said, you know, look, you can with your Canon XDI, you can buy this one. It's seventy to three hundred f three five to five six, or you can buy this nice white one that's seventy to 200, 2 2.8, and cost twice as much. Right. And in my head, I went, and I'm not even kidding. In my head, it was, well, that goes to three hundred, and that goes to two hundred. 
that's better. And my camera's black and that lens is black. Why would I buy a white lens? Yeah. And it was the worst mistake I ever made to buy a variable aperture lens. Because as a beginner, I didn't understand that just zooming my lens changed my exposure. Interesting. Interesting. So buy, understand that the money you spend on gear comes back and helps you as you learn, not just after you learn. So you're saying in if low light or if capturing low light scenes isn't part of the genre of photography that you want to tackle, you can save a lot of money, basically. Uh, yes, <laughs> a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, because the faster the lens, the more expensive the lens, basically. Quite a bit. True, but it's, it's not just the speed and low light gathering capability. Those faster lenses are generally better lenses, better glass, better sharpness, better contrast, better color correction or color uh, saturation, color reproduction. That's what I was looking for. Uh, better image resolution. There's just so many things about a good piece of glass that make it so much better than a cheap one. It's not. And he brought up something numbers. people don't think about. The newer lenses resolve more lines. Yep. So now that we have these really super high resolution uh, image sensors, we, and if you're using older glass, it may not have been designed to those really high resolution standards. Yeah. So buying good glass lasts you forever. So yeah, when so. people when people ask us the question, and we've all got the question, I bet the people in the chat room have gotten this question, what camera should I buy, right? We always get this question, is that the wrong question? Should they be asking which lens should I buy? Because your lenses, and I tell people your lenses, like I have lenses here that I've had for decade, you know, or more than one decade. And those lenses travel with me and I don't want to give them away. I don't want to loan them to people. It's like these, but camera bodies, it's like a new camera body comes out almost every other month and those are fleeting. So to both of you guys, should people be putting all their money into like you said, Joseph, fast glass instead of the next whiz bang low light body that comes out? It's definitely, that's definitely where you want to put more of your emphasis. You can't just disregard the body. You do still need a good camera body, but Perfect example. So on the Lumix side, we got the GH5 and then the G9 just came out, which is yeah. more geared towards the still photographer. I've gotten a few emails from people saying, well, I bought the GH5. I'm really more stills photographer. Should I sell it and buy a G9? Like, okay, well, this is going to cost you money, right? You're going to sell the G5. And you get the G9 is cheaper, so it maybe won't cost you all that much money, but you're going to lose some money in the deal doing this. Is it really necessary for what you're doing. There are a few specific features the G9 does that the other camera doesn't. And yes, if you need those features, you need those features. There's no discussion about it. But if those aren't features you really need, you've already got a supremely good stills camera. Have you really maxed it out? Are you doing everything you could possibly do? Have you hit the wall with that camera and you're going, okay, there's things that I want to do that I cannot do with this camera because of limitations, technical limitations in the camera. If the answer is no, then keep shooting with that camera. If you've got money to burn, go buy another lens. Or stick the money in a, a little camera savings account and wait until something comes out that you really, really need. Or you do hit that wall and you're going, that's it. I, I cannot achieve what I want to achieve with this camera body, but this other model does. It's $2,000, but it'll do it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I tend to think that people approach, approach buying camera gear in the reverse, whereas they're like, you know, hey, I see a, you know, I want to shoot concerts and I see Steve shooting concerts. Let me find out what Steve's shooting with. I'm going to buy that exact same kit and then I'll be Steve Brazel. Or Joseph is doing this amazing live stream. If I buy everything that Joseph has, I'll be able to do a live stream just like Joseph. That's not necessarily the case. I think if you approach it from the reverse and say, okay, what is it that I'm shooting? 
what are the kinds of things that I want to shoot and then build your kit to shoot that. You can't, I don't think people, and I use this analogy, I was doing a talk in uh, Denver a while back and I was like, you cannot, you can't be Batman right or iron man with a suit that does everything <laughs> that, right. that you need and anything that comes at you you just hit a button and now you're ready for that situation you have to approach it from the reverse and and you know in the case of these superheroes you're like okay what's my villain okay my villain has these powers so i need a suit that can counteract those kinds of powers right see yeah, and and actually, you nailed it. Mo I think most people do walk into a camera store and want to buy a camera that will let them now photograph and anything that that shows up in front of them for the rest of their life. Right. But again, it's a tool, right? So if you are shooting um, auto racing or NFL football and you need to freeze people at a thousand a thousandth of a second and you need sixteen frames per second, well then. That's the type of thing that's going to let you decide what body to do. Yeah. But somebody in the chat room mentioned this, and it's true. Buy as much camera as you can get, and then you'll end up spending a ton of money on lenses. Yeah, you will, in my experience, keep lenses for years and years and years, and you'll change bodies two or three times or more with those lenses. Glass matters. The glass hands down. You know, the glass are your speakers, and the mm -hmm. camera is, is your receiver, right? It may get what you need, but it's got to pass through something for you to see it. And, and if your glass is bad, you're going to notice that down the road. So wow. glass really matters, but really just pick what needs for you and understand it may not be enough. You may for shooting, you want to be a wedding photographer and you go out and sh start shooting high-end Nikons. Uh, but then you decide, you know what? I really want to shoot on a TV set and I need a mirrorless because they're quiet. Yeah. Depending right. on what you're doing, those are the deciding factors. It's really not whether or not, you know, Frederick loves his Panasonic. It's does Panasonic do what I need to get done? Right. And the answer usually will be yes, but still. Yeah. 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 It's, it's the right tool for the right job. For example, with this shot that you're looking at on me or looking at me on right now, this is a Lumix, a Panasonic Lumix GH4. But the more important piece of it is the glass that I'm using on it, right? So I'm using a 15 millimeter F17 Leica lens and that's pumped into the computer and that's going into the Hangout. So people are like, how does, you, why does your background slightly out of focus and all that? Well, it's the glass that's doing that. I could put a different glass, a piece of glass on here and get a completely different um, perspective of this scene, but this is the one that I wanted and works for me. Now I can take this glass off and put it on any camera that I want and keep rocking and rolling. But you know, it's it's the end result that you keep in mind. And I thought about Steve, as you know, I thought about this shot long and hard, <laughs> right? Oh yeah, before deploying it, and and now here we are. Well, so, and and it's interesting too because somebody, what you just said about you can take it and put it on something else. Somebody said that they're using a Sony, a Canon lens on a Sony body in, yeah. in the room. And then Tim Engel brought up a perfect point that we forgot to say. Yeah. Rent. Rent. It's yeah, so absolutely. easy to rent gear and people go, well, but it, it does cost and I don't want to throw the money at that if I'm going to buy it. But the truth is, if you want to make the right choice, rent. Yeah. Test Yeah, it. rent. Yeah, and, and then, yeah, that's a great, thanks, Tim, for posting that in the chat room because renting get let you put your toe in the water without committing renting is like dating right <laughs> so 
you can date a lens before you buy it, which I don't is know good. Where you come up with this? I just don't. <laughs> it yeah, is. But let me say, what trouble his foot in his mouth. Michael is saying your rental would be good, but prices here in Aussie are for six months limit to hire. I guess they're high prices and six months limit. We're not talking about renting for the long term. We're not talking yeah. about leasing the lens. We're talking right. about renting it for a weekend to to try it make sure it really is the gear that you want. And in the cases of some really expensive gear that you might not need all the time, a, a great example would be something like a, a 300 millimeter of 2.8 lens if you're on the Canon or Nikon side or like a 100 or 400 zoom. These are really expensive lenses mm -hmm. that you really need it all the time. No, you probably need it a couple times a year. So rent it when you need it. And then that way, you know, you're not putting the investment into owning the whole thing. Right. Uh, you'll save a ton of money. And if a new version of that lens comes out and you need that lens again next year, you're going to get the new version, which you yeah. would never do if you bought the thing. Yeah. And the other the other piece of it is if you're if you're shooting for money, you can pass that rental fee along to your client as a line item. Right. And then get to try out the lens and not even you know, take the expense of owning the lens or paying for the lens. You just say, hey, you know, in order for me to get this shot of this, you know, this amazing car that you want me to shoot, I'm going to need this gear. And in there is this particular lens and you go rent it from lens rentals or borrow lenses.com and boom, you're off into the races. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Rental, rental, rental. You know, uh, we went a little bit out of order, and I apologize to the folks in the chat room, Michael, uh, John, Barber. I know you are waiting on us to talk about the um, the gear segment. We're definitely going to get to that. I think that's that's going to be one of the most substantive parts of this conversation. I also wanted to get both of your opinions on the um, CES. So we kind of skipped over CES and the new stuff that came out at CES. The Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, Nevada, was just about a week or so ago. And they that's where a ton of stuff, some fictional and some real <laughs> come out <laughs> and hit the world and, and some sometimes change the world. That's where these big announcements come. We look at it from the, the standpoint of photography and what's new for photographers. And there's a there was a lot of a lot of new stuff that came out. Joseph, I want to start with you. I know you had a chance to kind of look through some of the offerings that came out. What stuck out? I mean, we don't have to be exhaustive about it, but what stuck out for you as a, as a as a winner from this year's show? You know, I got to be honest. Actually, I've watched a bunch of videos, um, roundup videos, and I haven't seen anything that really got me that excited. Yeah. Um, I just haven't. And I know I haven't watched everything. Obviously, I was not there. I have not watched everybody out there. I, I've got a bunch of them bookmarked. I watch them during lunch to see if there's anything that catches my attention. But I, I've yet to see something that really made me go, oh, that's super cool. I can't wait to get my hands on that. Yeah. 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 I got to get it. And I, I, I kind of feel the same way. The big the biggest thing that I saw that got me excited. And I don't know. I mean, a lot of this stuff is based on your perspective and what your mindset is at the time. So my mindset was this live streaming stuff <laughs> that I'm getting set up. So I'm kind of looking for live streaming things to make my live streaming life easier. And uh, one of the things that I saw it wasn't particularly targeted at live streamers, but it was um, from DJI and their new Osmo gear the new right? mobile yeah the well they had a, they introduced an osmo mobile but also an osmo a larger version of it that you can put your mirrorless or dslr on right right, right. which you know i was thinking i got of course i gotta have that but then i thought about it i have an osmo back there on the shelf i'm like i've used that thing exactly five times right? yeah. so so i want to get it but then i know people like tim ingle who's in the chat room who uses his all the time so i'm like well maybe if i got one that I could use with my mirrorless gear, I would use it more. And especially now that I'm live streaming, creating content more, maybe I need it. I don't know. So that's that's the one thing that got me excited. I don't know. Steve, what, what about you? Did you see anything exciting? 
it, it's you know it's it's funny. I'm I'm kind of like Joseph in that I kept watching every year. There's something that when they they announce it or it comes across a newsfeed, I'm like, oh really? And I will be driven to go look it up. Mm-hmm. And nothing grabbed me like that. But when I manually on my own go, okay, let's go look at top ten lists for for CES. There are a couple things that found I found interesting. First of all, the new DJI Osmo Mobile is interesting to me purely because of the battery life. Right, mm-hmm. the battery life is much better than the current one. I own the current one and I do like it. But you can't get away without talking about the new LG roll up television. What sixty five inch, sixty five inch rollable OLED TV. So when you want to watch it, it unrolls and then it rolls back up. What, like a projector screen kind of thing? Exactly. But we've all always wanted those kind of big flat screens, but you always had to mount a projector on the ceiling or put it on a table. And here it's an OLED TV. So to me, imagine a high-end bedroom or conference room where it's built into the ceiling and the door opens and it rolls down or rolls up and shows and then disappears. I think that is kind of a neat idea to have a rollable television. The other thing was Y-Charge. And Y-Charge was a system, they've got a bunch of different products there, but one of them was a ceiling light that charges electronics that are in the room. So it's oh, it's fast. distance it's distance chi charging basically. We so was using that. photons like what what? I'm we've not an, I'm not an engineer. Yes. And nothing's come to market yet. It's that's one of those things that seems like vaporware for now. We've yeah. seen it demo before a year or even more ago. They showed here it is charging an iPhone from across the room. Right. Great. Don't stand in between the beams and you know microwave. But you're talking a year right. later, and if this one does, you're just asking what could be interesting. If this does actually turn into a physical, tangible product, count count me in. That could be awesome as long as yeah. it doesn't give me cancer as I'm standing between it and my phone. Yeah. Yeah. Free, free vasectomies right. while you wait. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just stand over there, sir. Stand on the little green box. You'll be good. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's uh, those kinds of technologies are interesting, but then you look at them and you're like, yeah, as you get older, it, it becomes less about being an early adopter and more about the end result. And does this thing that I'm going to spend money and more importantly, time on actually make my life easier? Like what, what is that going to take out of the mix? Like the, what is the, the Qi chargers make my life easier? And I don't have to find it with my phone. I have to find the little lightning nipple and put my phone on there. And, you know, well, with my eyes half closed, I just throw my phone over there and it charges. So it makes my life easier in the car. I can just set it down and it's charging something like that. It's like, I don't want to be that early of an adopter. Well, but there, there, there was some stuff that's fairly well ingrained in the system now that was announced at CES. And that is everything had to do with personal assistance. Right. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of new products for HomeKit. Don't say the word. Don't say the word. There was a lot of new products for Echo products. <laughs> Thank you. The A word. Um, you know, for the G word assistant. So mm-hmm. a lot of new home assistant products and home automation products and, and internet of things products came out. Yeah. And I really think none of them jumped, but that's okay. If we're building bricks to make that part of our lives more stable and more, more available. Oh, good. I agree. And I, I didn't even think about that. And one, one thing I want to touch on Joseph, one of the things that you turned me on to, uh, with our, with this whole live streaming journey was a product comp from, um, Epifan, mm-hmm. right? So that Epifan webcaster X2, 
So this is a box. If you if you folks are interested at all in live streaming to Facebook or YouTube, one of the problems that I hit early on was, you know, I have this beautiful 5K Retina iMac that I love, but still it would throttle the processor whenever I tried to send a live stream using like Wirecast software or whatever up to Facebook or YouTube. Joseph turned me on to this Epifan Webcaster X2 product, which basically does all that for you. So you take an output from your computer, plug it into that thing, and it streams. So it it you plug an Ethernet cable into it. It's basically a computer, and all, it's a dumb droid. And all its job is to do <laughs> is to take your stream and pump it up to either Facebook or uh, or YouTube, and it yeah. works flawlessly. It just works, you know. As you hit a button and you're online, it streams, which is what I'm be using for a lot of the the Twip content going forward. So, but the the point is. I didn't even know about that thing. And I did some research. Turns out it was announced at a prior CES, like CES last year or something. They released it. So I missed it. <laughs> so it's things like that that make me feel like, OK, what did I miss this time around at CES? Right. It's just so much stuff. There's no you can't you can't figure it all out without going down a, a personal tangent rat hole to find the thing that you're looking for. And then you find this gold of, of device that solves a problem. Or just ask Joseph. Or just ask Joseph or or Alex Lindsay or, you know, someone. Yeah. don't ask Alex Lindsay. No, if you ask Alex Lindsay, you have you, zeros in your pocket. Yeah. yeah. Stop. Stop by. Stop by the bank on the way for a payday loan on the way to your, your conversation with Alex. He will spend your money. So cool. All right, guys, let's uh, let's move on into gear. So in this section, I want to talk about what gear you guys are shooting with. Why are you shooting with that gear? And I mean, this is the question everyone has, right? Uh, we're getting this, these questions in the chat room. Like, why do you shoot, Joseph? You shoot with Panasonic Lumix gear. In fact, I think you were the one that turned me on to Micro Four Thirds initially. Um, Steve, you shoot with Canon gear for a particular reason. Let's start with you, Steve. Why you shoot Canon? Why do you shoot Canon? Why don't you shoot Sony? Especially considering we know Sony has some sort of magical uni unicorn dust inside their bodies when it comes to low light performance, right? And you are in a gig, you shoot concerts that need low light performance. Why not shoot Sony? A uh, really good question, actually. And yes, I'm a, I'm a Canon shooter. I carry two bodies to every show. I carry a 5D3 and a 5D4. Uh, and I carry a trilogy of, actually, I carry four lenses, but the main trilogy for concert photography, 16 to 35, 24 to 70, 70 to 200, but I also have a Sigma 15 millimeter fisheye that I like. Uh, and, and the reason that I shoot Canon is I started with Canon. It felt the best in my hand at the time and the, these brand new Sonys didn't exist. I've, I'm invested in lenses. Could I switch? Yes, but I have friends that I've taken out to shoot concerts with me, which is rare, but I periodically get the chance to do it. And one of them who, you know, Troy, mm -hmm. uh, he shoots for his weddings Nikon D5s, but he also has Sony's that he, some that are normal, some that he's converted to infrared. They're beautiful cameras. When he has taken those on shows, they generally work fine. But most people that I shoot concerts with that try to shoot the Sony's or the mirrorless systems find focusing issues. Mm -hmm. in, in a concert, especially the type of stuff that I shoot, which is more rock and metal, uh, you will have somebody run in front of you and run away while they're swinging hair and spit flying from their mouth. <laughs> and which just hold on. That sounds like my last friend. Just have that picture in your head <laughs> for just a second. Maybe Joseph would swing some, he's got the beard at least. Um, 
And so the thing is, a lot of times, while they have great autofocus in these Sonys, a lot of people complain that they just, in that environment, they do great low light and they focus. But when combined in super low light, they don't focus fast enough for them. Yeah. Uh, for me, that's part of it. I like fast frames per second. The mirrorless would give me that. I would love to have some, some faster frames per second. But what I'm getting out of my 5D4 does what I need, right? I'm not shooting something where, you know, like uh, like a Scott Kelby, you've got a, an NFL player in the air catching something and you're going to fire off, you know, 15 shots. Yeah. I do three shot bursts and that's about it. I want those three shots to happen quickly, but I do it in three shot bursts. So it, the sounds Canon, like, it sounds like the the you you recognize that there may be superior gear or at least superior in different ways gear to what you have, but it's like we were saying at the beginning, it's the art that's important. You're able to get what you want and it's predictable when you go set in there, you can go into a concert hall or an arena with confidence knowing that if you do X, Y, and Z, you're gonna leave with a SD card or a CF card full of stuff that you can then edit later. And in, in other words, you're not going in there experimenting, right? No, and the bottom line is the, the camera doesn't take the picture. Right, I, I know how to use my forget. Yeah, the most important part of the picture is what's behind the camera, not the camera itself. And you put an iPhone or Samsung phone or whatever into your hands, Steve Brazel, and you put the best possible hardware for shooting concerts in the hands of know what they're doing, or is not a great photographer, and we know who's going to come up with better pictures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's the camera. That's really it. The camera doesn't take the picture. And, and Joseph said something earlier when he was talking, and he said, you know, before you replace your gear, have you really reached the limits of your gear? And that's a great experience. I shot a can, an original Canon 7D for years, and I butted up against the fact that I needed better low light performance. I needed faster focusing, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. When, when you have that limitation though, and, and again, Joseph also men mentioned manual focus lenses. I know people who shoot concerts with manual focus lenses. That limitation sometimes will push you to do amazing things because you're the one making the shot. Yeah, yeah. But would I love to try a Sony in, in a, a, a photo pit sometime? Yeah, and I'm sure Troy would lend me one if I beg him properly and buy him a nice scotch. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, cool. I mean, that, that's interesting. And then what uh, you said you had a, a trio of lenses. What were they again? It's kind of the standard for most. Most photographers have a 24 to 70 and a mm -hmm. 70 to 200. And then the third one is usually a 16 to 35. I have the 16 to 35 2.8 Mark III. Uh, and then I also use my Sigma 15 fisheye, which is not the sharpest. It's not the art series. Yeah. It's not the sharpest tack in the shed, but boy, when it nails it, it's a really nice look. It's just, I don't know. It, like it, it seems like, and, and I don't know, maybe because I'm spoiled by having, you know, the, the mirrorless technology and able to see my exposure and have focus peaking in there. If I want to shoot manual for something like that, I'd be, I mean, I, I started shooting, manual cameras my first camera was a nikon f3 right so i know manual i don't even think that camera had autofocus it was no auto it was just f-stops and shutter speeds and isos that was it but now with these com super computers we have that have lenses on them there's all these things that you can do you know including the focus peaking and being able to see your exposure before you click the shutter that that linus 
security blanket is what I'd want when I go into situations where, you know, that are unknown that I can see, I can know that at least it's in focus because I see the green halo around his head. So, and I know the exposure's right when I press the button. Now it's on me to get the composition right. I don't know. Maybe it's lazy, but maybe it's technology. I don't know. No, it's just, it's another tool. Yeah, it is another tool. Joseph, what about you, man? You're shooting Lumix, Panasonic. Like I said, you're the you're one of the driving forces that pushed me into the mirrorless world. I think you pushed me into it was the Olympus. I think initially that's where I started. Yeah, with mirrorless yeah. Was Olympus. Right. Let, let me. I I want to ask though. Before he yeah. had you switch, were you a DSLR shooter, Frederick? Absolutely. I still have all my Nikon gear. I have. Okay, I so have, you were a Nikon shooter. Yeah, I have a, a crap load of Nikon lenses and F three and F four bodies. So if you're uh, if you're interested, just let me know. <laughs> So, so Joseph, why, yeah. why mirrorless? Why do you shoot what you shoot with? I mean, right now you're recording yourself on a micro four thirds black magic body, right? Right. That's correct. Yeah. So the, this, the path to mirrorless, it's a long story. We'll, we'll do the short version. Um, I had a, an Olympus OMD something rather. I forget now it on loan to me, a buddy had loaned it to me to play with. And I really enjoyed shooting with it. I didn't think that I would, I was a full frame snob, did not think that I would enjoy mirrorless. But I enjoyed the camera, so I ended up buying one and using that as just kind of a my fun camera, my home camera. It's obviously a lot smaller, lighter weight than the Canon DSLRs I was shooting with, so it was nice to take that one out on the uh, with the family instead of the big camera. Cool. And I was using it more and more. Got to a point where I decided to take it on a, a client project, nothing big. It was like a house party or something like that, and the results were great out of that. And then I started using it more and more, and it got to a point where I no longer was using the Canons. I was using the Micro Four Thirds, the Olympus gear. Started buying more lenses for it, of course. Uh, some of those lenses were Panasonic. It eventually made my over to the Panasonic side of things. And of course, now I'm sponsored by Panasonic and Panasonic ambassador, Lumix ambassador. So, uh, so now, you know, it's all, all Lumix everywhere now, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's how I made that journey in. And I love it. Um, I, you know, there's with any gear, there's advantages and disadvantages. There's no doubt about that there. You've already mentioned many of the advantages of shooting this way, like getting the exposure peaking or the exposure through the viewfinder, uh, your colors through the viewfinder, the focus peaking, all the great things that we get. Um, but there are some advantages to the bigger cameras as well. So, you know, you you use the tool that works for you. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 when you say use the tool that use the tool that works for you, why does it work for you? I mean, you could like you were saying with Steve, Steve could take, you know, any camera and create like rumple silkskin, you know, straw yeah. from gold from straw. You could do the same. You choose this body and system. Why? A big part of it was just I was having more fun with it. I really found, reignited my passion for photography, working with these smaller, lighter, more technologically enabled cameras. It was just a lot of fun. I was having a blast shooting with them. And the images were as good, in some cases, better than what I was getting before. So why not embrace it? It's If you're not having fun doing it, I mean, come on, none of us got into photography because... Well, I got to pick something to do for a living. I guess I better go into photography because I'll make an easy living doing that. At least I'll have a paycheck at the end of the yeah. day. No, you nobody, won't. <laughs> nobody ever said that in the history of the world. So if you're not having fun doing it, then what's the freaking point? Yeah. And part of that fun is the gear. I'm a gear geek. I've always been a geek. I love this stuff. It's fun. I enjoy playing with it. Enjoy the new tech. Uh, but uh there's a lot more of that new tech in mirrorless than there is in, in the non-mirrorless world. And that's still yeah. true today, I have which a, is shocking. I have a question for you then, Joseph. Yes, sir. When you, when you made the change to going mirrorless, partially mm -hmm. because pretty much anybody that's here, including in the chat room, we're all geeks, right? I mean, we, we don't log in to watch live videos or do podcasting or anything if we're not 
partially, you know, tech nerds. Mm -hmm. So I, I am curious. Okay, you love the focus peaking and you love the the uh, electronic viewfinders and all the all the tech that goes behind it. Was there anything when you made the switch that ever made you question, was it the right switch? I mean, in other words, is there anything, I don't want to say that you missed, that's not the phrase I'm looking for, but do you know what I no, mean? No, I get it. Yeah, well, there were a couple things, there were a couple of just straight up features that I didn't have back then, but have evolved their way in. Tethered shooting was a big one. Uh, Canon, I could shoot tethered. I couldn't do that with Lumix cameras until recently. So that was one of the big things that, uh, it was probably the only time that I've had, that I've broken out the Canon to do a shoot, and this is now years ago was because I absolutely had to shoot tethered because the way the, the shoot was, the client in the room had to shoot tethered, and so I had to shoot with the can. Um, there's, something, there's something else. There's something else I was thinking of now. It's escaped me. It's just there, there really isn't much that I yeah. miss or that I really went, oh, was this really? The resolution. That was the other one I was going to say. Like, I was going to say that. The resolution, like right? Pixels. Yeah. Right. I was shooting Canon 20 two or 23 megapixel or whatever. What, what's a Canon 5D Mark II, Mark III? What, like what 22 something, something like that. Right. Yes, that's what I was shooting. And the Micro Four Thirds were all 16 megapixel. And it was that way for a long time. And I, I did miss that resolution a little bit. But I felt that if I put two images side by side at 100%, my images were sharper than what I was getting out of the Canon. That was one of the first like real shockers to me. I went, hold on a second. How can this be sharper? It's a smaller file. It's a lower resolution, but it's sharper. And if I scaled the bigger Canon file down to that same size, oh, there's the sharpness. So I felt like the effective resolution, the effective sharpness was no different. Interesting. So, that was that perceivable. Yeah, it really was. So that was that was a big part of it. Um, you know, that was a big part of the ability to switch, seeing that my images were just as sharp, if not sharper. And I ended up not missing the resolution. Of course, now we're now we've got that twenty plus megapixel resolution in the Micro Four Thirds cameras, which is not that big of a difference from sixteen. But you know, every little bit helps. Yeah, but all all sharpness discussions and arguments aside, one of the big questions that comes up when people are discussing the argument between traditional DSLRs and Micro Four Thirds, like yours, the like ours, Joseph, the Lumix yeah. series, is the lack of bokeh or the ability to throw the background out of focus and separate your that. subject from the background. What do you, what do you say to those folks? They're like, you know, I, I, micro four thirds is still for kids because I, you know, and I shoot DSLRs because I need portraits that have a blurry background. What do you say to that? I say, watch my last video from the photo justice photo moment where I highlighted the Noctocron lens yeah. and um, Boca for days. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. That, that argument is ridiculous. Yes. There is less on a, in a given aperture, given focal length, distance, whatever you put two side by side, you are getting less of the bokeh with a micro four thirds than you do with full frame. That's just science. There's no way around that. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that you can't get the bokeh. You use the right lens to get it and you'll get it. Right. Like my F0.95 lens that I have for, uh, for micro four thirds. That doesn't exist in Canon and Nikon of 0.95. I guess Canon's got an F1 lens. Um, I stopped making it 15 years ago or something. So there, you know, there are the rare exceptions, but it's not something you can go in the store and just buy, especially not for the $400 price tag that I paid for mine. So there is, if that's what you want, the tools are there for it. And yes, those are going to be the more expensive lenses that crazy Chinese lens that I'm talking about, the 0.95 notwithstanding, but like the, the Noctocron F1.2. It's a 85 millimeter equivalent. It's a 42.5 millimeter F1.2. So that's, however that translates out to like 85 millimeter F2.4 or something like that. Um, but it is, it is a beautiful lens with good shallow depth of field and 
you know, if you look at that and you go, that's not shallow enough to the field, then I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. I have that lens and I love that lens. That is a, it is, it's not a cheap lens, but it is, it is a beautiful lens. <laughs> it, okay, uh, so it's fast. When, I think it's on sale or whatever the price now is at $1,400. Um, but you combine that with a top of the line uh, uh, Lumix camera for shooting stills. If you were talking about stills photography, you're talking about the G9, which is what, 1600 I think, dollars. Mm -hmm. So put those two together and now go shopping for a Canon, top-end Canon body or top-end Nikon body and a lens to match it, and you're spending double that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, one of the reasons I want to get into mirrorless is I've shot an infrared camera, a Sony, with the electronic viewfinder, and instead of trying to figure out what's this going to look like in infrared yeah. and you don't know till you bring it up, seeing that live as you change your settings is so cool. uh, almost addicting. Yeah. 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 It's how aliens see us when they come visit. Right. Yeah. yeah when you're yeah. looking through the viewfinder and you knock the exposure down two thirds of a stop and you see that change in camera, it's phenomenal. When you see your histogram in camera and you adjust, you want to get your blacks black. And so you take your exposure over under exposure and you dial it down until the bottom of that histogram hits that wall on the left and you go my blacks are perfect push the button and take the picture once you've done that there's just no going back yeah yeah i think i think that the thing that sold me when we were discussing olympus so many years ago joseph was olympus and i don't think panasonic has this feature yet olympus had this feature or has this feature where you could do a long exposure and it would draw and render yeah. on the back of the camera as the long exposure was happening. So you could do a, a waterfall shot and just open it on bulb and see the water just slowly get more and more cottony over yeah, time and my, then stop the exposure when you want it, right? It that was, was a really cool feature. Yeah, that sold me. I was like, what, really? This is, I can't do this with film. Nope. <laughs> so. No, that is a cool feature. No, you're right, that isn't on Panasonic cameras. I don't know, I'm gonna have to ask somebody about that because that is a really cool feature. Oh, that was a killer feature. That was a killer feature. Well, cool. Um, Joseph, one last thing I wanted to ask you. So we're talking about low light performance, right? So Panasonic just released that GH5S. And I know you did a, a, a review, kind of a comparison between the GH5 and the GH5S on your Photo Joseph YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. So I encourage people to go check that out, definitely. But for this audience, what's the difference? Is, is Panasonic with the GH5S going after Sony on the low light performance cameras and can a micro four thirds, considering the, the laws of physics today, compete with a camera with a larger sensor on the low light front? Sure. Okay. So the, the important things about the S is I don't think it's meant to compete with anything because there's nothing else like it on the market. And it is a very, very specialized camera. Anybody who has the GH5 and is thinking, oh, crap, I just bought a GH5. Oh, you know, I should have waited. No, this is a totally different camera. This is a companion camera to the GH5. It's unlikely that anyone would own only a GH5S. It's very specialized. It's designed specifically for low-light performance. It has a much lower resolution sensor. It's designed for video. It's only a 10-megapixel sensor that's in there. 4K video is only 8 megapixels, so it's a little bit bigger than it needs for 4K. But if you're shooting stills, 10 megapixels is pretty small. So yeah. it's definitely not designed for the still shooter. Dual native ISO. Uh, I think it's, I believe it's 400 and 2500 native ISO. So for in low light situation, shooting 2500 ISO in a 14-bit video file, and you're getting that because of these uh, this lower resolution sensor, you have much bigger pixels in there. So it's a much better low light gathering capability. So you end up with a much cleaner image. So it's specifically for people who are shooting low light 
uh, specifically for video. And the other thing on it is that it does not have the stabiliz stabilization in the body, which for a lot of people, that's just a, that's a showstopper right there. It's not, oh, yeah. you know, not even interested in that. And that's a very specific reason that was designed that way for people who need to have the camera not have stabilization in it. There's a lot of situations where having a stabilizer is bad. It, uh, it gets in the way of the shot. It bounces when you don't want it to. So this camera is designed specifically for those users. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I was happy to hear that on your on your stream, Joseph, because I was when Panasonic released and, and, and I'm a I'm a Lumix guy as well. Right. So I knew that this was coming and I was thinking, oh, man, I just I just fell in love with my GH5. And now there's an S. Is this are we appling like like when Apple releases a new iPhone, all the other ones suddenly look like crap. Right. right. I was like, oh, <laughs> is this is this now happening with Panasonic and my camera bodies? Yeah, I yeah. was happy to hear that. No, that's not the case. So this but is. I, I, the S is specifically for videographers and cinematographers and filmmakers, right? Yeah, so pretty but I, that. I have a question though for Joseph, because I watched your video on this camera. And if you haven't seen it, go to his YouTube channel and, and watch it where you go through the GH5 versus the GH5S. And I actually right. have two questions. Okay. One of them is, did you ever figure out how they're doing the dual native ISO? It's, and the other question is, isn't this a marketing blunder? Because if if people that own the GH5, which is really in no comparison to the GH5S, if all of those people are going, oh, darn, I wish I'd waited to buy the GH5, not understanding it's unrelated, shouldn't they have called it, you know, the GHB5 or V5 for video or something totally different so it didn't confuse people like Frederick? Frederick. So easily confused. I'm easily uh, confused. Yeah. The, the first to answer the first question, I've I've read things about the dual ISO. I I don't. It's technology I don't fully understand. There's two different receptors or something. I sorry. I got to come up with a good, simple explanation of it. Right. Because it's really odd. It. it is odd. But it's not unique. This is not the first time this has been in a camera at all. It's it's actually okay. in some of the other Panasonic cameras. It's in primarily this shows up in high end video work so it's not this is not unique or particularly new it's just the first time it's shown up in a uh, in a lumix camera in a dslm style camera for sure um as far as the marketing all i can say is that panasonic is is small when at least their camera division it's small they don't have anywhere near the marketing budget that someone like sony or canon or nikon have and so it, this is why people like me are doing what I'm doing and trying to get the word out more. It's just a naming convention. Well, there's I mean, I mean, no, no, that's fair enough. I mean, if they called it the GH5 low light, then maybe that would have been slightly better. I don't even know what the S is supposed to stand for. Honestly, I haven't got a clue. Uh, but yeah, fine. Fair enough. Hey, you know, I argued that one about Final Cut Pro 10 when that came out. If you just right. called it Final Cut 10 and left the stupid pro off of the name, you would have pissed right. so many fewer people. Yeah. But, you know, no one asked me these things. No, you're right. Marketing um, people. Calling, it, calling it low light version, you know, GH5 low light, GH5 LL, that would have been, been cool. But, um, yeah, people will figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you, Steve. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, is it could have been like the GH5V. Right. And that would have that would have been more obvious. The S moniker, I think we're all trained that S means better with iPhones. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got to ask somebody there what the S is supposed to mean. Because that's, that's normal nomenclature. Now, the S is the next incremental upgrade to the previous. So you immediately think it's an incremental upgrade. And I'll be honest, when I looked at the specs myself, I'm thinking, what are they doing here? And it wasn't until I watched Joseph's video that it all came really yeah. clear that it's a video camera. 
Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. some great comments here in the in the chat room. Trevor's saying once you realize the GH5 doesn't have IBIS, you know immediately it's not meant to replace the GH5. Yeah. True. And that's important because you know, there's a lot of people who I'm, I see ranting about it doesn't have IBIS, this is BS. And you're like, no, that's it's not for you. This is not for you. Right. It was yeah. not made for you. It was made for somebody else. Yeah. Uh, Chris Berry's saying for videographers shooting with the EVA, which is a bigger video camera, um, this is an awesome, this is awesome for BNC cams. Much less expensive, much lighter, more portable. It is. It's fantastic. It is. A, it's a video camera. It really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's a, uh, I don't know. I, I was just happy to watch your video and, and find out that I did not make a bad decision in putting my love into the GH5. So <laughs> can, can we, can we talk about the A7R3? Let's talk about the A7R3 from Sony. I have that up on my screen here. So I, I just have one comment on it. You 15 want it. stops of dynamic range. That's like, like, like Sony literally has some magicians working over there. I don't understand. <laughs> but it's like crazy. Like, what is, is there what a is camera that? that does more than that? I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe getting into medium format, but I, I even though I could be wrong, I'm not sure. Yeah. Wow. So, Steve, with that, that's a good question. So, A7R3, it just seems like that'd be a no brainer for you. Right. If somebody put one in my hands, would I take it to a show and shoot it and see what happened? Oh, yeah. But you could do that. We just talked about rentals, right? You could just go rent yeah, one. that's true. Maybe I should do that. I probably should. Now, I know, like I say, I know people who shoot mirrorless and they love it. But more commonly, I hear complaints about it in that particular type of environment. But if, if the autofocus is as improved as they say it's supposed to be, 42 megapixels, 15 stops of dynamic range, I'm sorry, but, you know, Canon CEO came out this week and said he realizes that they're not innovating fast enough. And in 2018, and you know what, you, you kind of want to look at him and go, yeah, thank you very much. You're right. And the, the other thing you want to say to him is, where, where have you been? Yeah, it's like in, in other news, this wheel thing for vehicles may catch on one day. <laughs> how many, how many A7 series did they release between a 5D3 and a 5D4? Right, right. Yeah, that's unfortunate. That is unfortunate. All right, guys, we're running a little bit long. I knew we would. Uh, we're about 15 minutes over time. I want to uh, wrap this up and jump into our question segment. Um, and just for the folks that are watching and in the chat room, thank you so, God, we're, there's so many people in here. I was not expecting this many people to show up for the live stream and in the chat. I am humbled and encouraged. So thank you guys for coming in. Um, FYI, we will be culling our questions from the TWIP Pro community as well as the, uh, the TWIP Facebook group, both of which I will link to in the comments or in the description for this video. But the first question for the return of This Week in Photo, episode 501, comes from Christopher Berry, who is a member in the TWIP Pro community. And he says, as someone that is still wanting to create, create a successful business with photography, where the main elements to uh, focus on when, when you want to create a sustainable photography business? That's the first part. And the second part of his question is when choosing a camera system, what are the most important things to consider? Steve Brazel, let's start with you on creating a successful photography and sustainable photography business. What are some tips that you want to throw towards Christopher Berry? Don't, don't shoot concerts. <laughs> Sorry. for food right <laughs> yeah i mean 
I'm probably the last guy to ask in that sense, but really it's a business. It's like any other business, right? You have to figure out what your costs are, how much you need to make. You need to figure out how to charge appropriately. And and one of the biggest things I see, and I, I don't know why, but one of the biggest things I see in the photography community is, and maybe it's the entire business community, is people just afraid to charge what they're worth. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm in this community and I don't think people will pay it. In every business I've ever worked in or, or owned, there's been times where I've gone, you know, I haven't raised my rates in years. I really need to raise my rates. I'm afraid that I'm, I'm going to be in trouble if I do. And I raise my rates. And you know what happens? I just develop a different clientele. And you have to decide what you want to make and charge appropriately. That's a big part of it is stop working for free and, and, and try and charge what you can get. Other than that, it's going to be, again, like any business, you have to understand your marketing. You have to understand who your clientele is and you have to understand customer service, right? You, you can't, if you're a sole proprietorship and you don't have an office and you're working from your cell phone and you happen to go golfing one day and you're on the tee box and the phone rings, you know what? Maybe you need to answer the phone when you're standing on the golf tee so that you have a response time that people expect. Any client that calls me, I call them back guaranteed within four hours, no matter what, you know? Yeah. I, and I would, and Joseph, I want to get your thoughts on this as well, but I, what I would, people ask me this question because I put on my marketing hat uh, and, and try to answer this as best I can. And the response I generally give people is if you can, it, it, it's a lot of this is about positioning, right? So in trying to avoid the rat hole of the race to the bottom, when you position, Right. So you could and you zoom out. I'm, I'm Mr. Analogy. Right. So if you zoom out and you say, OK, um, who do I want to be most like? Do you want to be a uh, Walmart or do you want to be Target or do you want to be like if you're selling jewelry? Do you want to be the, the jewelry counter in Walmart? Do you want to be the jewelry counter in Target? Do you want to be the mom and pop jewelry counter down the street from you or do you want to be Tiffany's? You know, like which one of those best fits you? And it's okay to be any one of those, but each one comes with its own overhead. Like if you want to be Tiffany's, you're going to brand build, you're going to position, you're going to price higher. You're going to be that, you know, you don't care if you turn off 90% or 95% of your potential customers because that one 5% is going to pay more than all those other ones combined, right? On the other side of it, with a Walmart strategy, you want a crowd of people, all of them paying for your $12 diamonds, right? Coming in. In the end, you're probably going to net around the same, but one of those people is going to work harder than the other, right? I think I would much rather have 50 high paying customers than 5,000 customers that aren't paying that much because on the 5,000 side, you're going to have a lot of people, you got a lot of customer service and you got a lot of you know, there's a lot of work that goes along with that 5,000, 50 people, people that are that are paying a lot of money as a kind of general rule, don't complain a whole lot. <laughs> people that pay less money tend to complain more and generate more customer service and more work for you. So but, you know, there's no one right answer for that. It's how you want to position your business. Right. So, Joseph, Joseph what do you think? Well, I don't disagree. Certainly figuring out what your market is, is really important. Um, it's, it's easy. It's too easy to go into it and think, okay, I've got to try and get everything, everybody, every market, every possible customer. I got to get them all because I need to make a living and I got to take anything that comes in the door and I got to say yes to every opportunity. And it's really hard to not do that. One of the 
one of the hardest things to be able to do and lessons to learn is to say no. Yeah, It's hard to say oh, no. Yeah. I still have a hard time saying no. You know, if someone comes and says, oh, there's this opportunity, um, you know, you're not going to get paid much. You're not going to get paid at all. But here's the thing. And it might not be a shoot. It might be um, being a guest on on a podcast somewhere. So, like, you know, I love being on podcasts because it's great exposure. I don't get paid for them. It's good exposure. But some podcasts you're like, really? You know, do I? is it really worth my time to go into yet another one of these seminars, podcasts, whatever that I'm being invited to? Sometimes you just got to say no. Sometimes you, someone asks you to do a shoot and they're going, you know, it'll be, it'll be cool and you'll get great exposure, but I can only pay you this much. And you're thinking, well, you know, that will, that will pay for, uh, you know, half the car payment this month. It'll pay for the insurance bill, but uh, it's also going to take this much time. Should I say no? Is it, is my time better spent doing something else? And it's really, really hard to say no, uh, but it's something you have to learn how to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's one of the hardest things, even, even for non-paying gigs, right? For friends and family. Yeah. And I, I tell people, you know, you're the hardest thing to do is say no people that are, you know, that are friends and family that are asking you to do free work, you know, Hey, can you come shoot my wedding or can you do this? You know, it's hard to say no. And what I generally counsel people as is to say, you know, you don't have to say no, but you can, if you want to do the gig, do it for free, right. but attach an invoice to it and discount it to zero. So yeah, that's a great technique. They see I, they they can see that there's value associated in this give and and won't take you for granted for future asks. Right? Every invoice I send, if I had hours that I chose of my own free will to not bill for, let's say I thought it should take eight, but it took ten hours. Mm -hmm. I'll bill the eight and I'll bill two hours, no charge. Because then when they see it, they see the no charge. And then if there ever is an issue with invoicing, they understand I'm honest and I'm going to take care of them and I'm going to be fair with them. But there's one other thing that I want to point out because one of the things that, that Chris asked was from a business point of view, how do you position yourself as a business and how do you, how do you grow that business? And in the photography world, at least, only show the work that shows yourself how you want to be seen. Yeah. I see so many people dump 50 pictures on Instagram. And, yeah. you know, from one shoot, it's like, no, 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 pick one or two, put them up, self edit yourself, make a good portfolio and only show yourself the way that shows you well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, agree. Like I said, if you do get the opportunity to shoot something that's not going to pay, but it is going to be a really great project for you, whether it's going to be a great portfolio piece or it's just personally exciting or challenging and you just want to do it. There's nothing wrong with doing something for cheap or even for free if you're getting personal satisfaction out of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One one question or actually a, a observation in the chat room is from Dan Donovan. And Dan says, if you want to make a living as a commercial photographer, I highly recommend joining ASMP, the American Society of Media Photographers. You will learn about the business side of photography. I agree with that. You guys agree with that? Yeah, and, and any organization. Join a local photography organization. Join PPA or, or a state level or like I'm a member of a local level here in Southern California. Get involved in all of that type of stuff. It'll always help you. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's, it's both easy and hard to be on the business side of this stuff because on the, on the easy side, it's easy to be insular and, and cut off from everyone, even with, with social media. And you're like, oh, I'm working on my price list. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it by myself. And then I'm going to release it on the world and they're going to love it. Right. Uh, but in reality, the hard part of it is to not do that. 
and is to say, hey, Joseph, what do you think about this? Or, hey, Steve, I'm thinking about pushing this out. What do you think? Does this does this blurb of text read well? And then take that, take their comments and incorporate them where you see fit and then move on. Right. So, yeah, this is this is fun stuff. Um, all right. Let's move on, guys. We're look at that. We're at the end of TWIP 501. <laughs> we made it. The Google, well, I was gonna, I was gonna say the hangout didn't crash, but it may still crash. <laughs> so the hangout didn't crash. Spoke we made it soon. through. We, uh, yeah, we, we've had a bunch of people in here watching. Thank you for the the live viewers that showed up to watch this. Thank. If you're watching this in the replay, thank you so much for uh, for watching the show. If you are in the chat and we're participating or just lurking. Thank you for being in the chat. We're at the, yeah, the, the end of another episode of This Week in Photo, the first in this new strain of 500 shows. If you want to continue the conversation, remember you can jump over to twippro.com. That's our brand new community. In fact, it is launching today. This is the, this is the first time I'm actually mentioning it, mentioning it per publicly. It's been circulated amongst uh, some friends and family, uh, but this is the first time that it has been meant the show or the uh, community has been mentioned publicly. So please get in there. Let me know what you think. Like I said, it's free for the first two weeks anyway. So just get in there, kick the tires and, and communicate with us. This is how you can continue the conversation with photo Joseph and uh, Steve Brazel. Speaking of you two, where can people go to stalk you and keep up with you? Photo Joseph, where are you at online? Well, you just said it. Photo Joseph, that's everything you need to know. Head to YouTube. <laughs> it's youtube.com slash photo Joseph. Instagram. Just put that into Google and get Twitter. To photo Joseph. Put that into the Google. That's right. It'll take you there. No, um, yeah, everything is, everything is Photo Joseph. And right now, the place I want people to visit the most is the YouTube channel. Subscribe if you haven't already. Hit that little bell to get notified when I go live. It's, you know, it's, the bell is helpful to notify when people upload videos. But you can watch those anytime. When you're live, it's only live once. And if you want to participate, you got to be there when it goes live. So hit the little bell. You get notified when uh, when I go live, 9.30 a.m., Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. And uh, and then the, there's other shows that happen at other times throughout the week. But those are the, the big ones. Yeah. And I got to say, congratulations on that channel, man. Like I said, you were an inspiration to me wanting to return to, to the TWIP universe mm -hmm. and the podcasting and introduce this live streaming component. So thank you for that. When you, do, when you do that show, you play your studio like an expert musician playing an instrument. Like you do, you are, it's you scary are, to watch sometimes. It is, it is interesting. Joseph is caffeinated, he is frenetic. He is knowledgeable and it is never boring. Too much coffee. People like it's, to it's like watching Rick Wakeman on keyboards where both hands go opposite directions at one time. They do that. <laughs> they do tend to do that. <laughs> yeah. Good show, man. Good show. Congratulations. And thanks for coming on to the return of Twit, man. I appreciate uh, it. Wouldn't have it any other way. Thank you. All right. And Mr. Steve Brazel, man, what about you? Where can people go to stalk you? Uh, a couple of different places. But first, I got to just say, follow Photo Joseph on Twitter because he will always post when he's going to go live. And it trust me, it's a great show. Frederick, welcome back to you. And this is normally going to be streamed live for TWIP. So make sure you subscribe. Make sure you follow Frederick, Frederick on uh, social media so you know when he's going to be live. For me, I'm Steve Brazel pretty much everywhere. It's like the country of Brazil, but two L's at the end. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook is Steve Brazel Photography. I, I love Twitter. That's what I use most. And it's stevebrazel.com is the website. And of course, behind the shot, you can go to thisweekinphoto.com, click the link for behind the shot. I've done a year. I've got like 33 episodes or whatever in there. And uh, go watch all the past episodes and, and subscribe.
Yeah, I love it. Steve, and I know you weren't expecting me to say this, but people should also listen to you on terrestrial sort of old school radio. Old school radio. Old school radio. Where can they find you on the airwayfm.com? Say it again. I was, you know, I was stepping on you. It's kcalfm.com, K-C-A-L-F-M.com. And nowadays, I mostly just do weekends, Sunday morning, 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific time. And I fill in when they need it. But yeah, I love it. Love it. All right. Well, thanks to both of you for coming on. And we got Brian Fisher in the chat room, who is the host of Twip Glam. He's saying just 499 shows until I take another break. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That is very true. Yeah. Welcome back, my friend. It's good to hear you back doing this. It is good to be back, man. I've I've needed this uh, podcasting, YouTubing therapy, and it is uh, this is really good. All right, folks. uh, Like the guy said, if you're watching us on YouTube, please subscribe and make sure you hit that bell so that when we release a new episode, that uh, you'll be notified. And also follow this week in photo and Frederick Van and these guys on the social media so you know what we're up to and when we're up to it. And with that. It is time to take that lens cap off. This is Twitter.